Those lyrics, I need a Holy Ghost. I have never been more sure than that's the case. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. He's talking to the Corinthians and says, I didn't come to you with persuasive language. I didn't come to you with eloquent speech, but all I came to you with this is all I know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I didn't come to you with this built up speech or human wisdom, but all I came was the Easter message, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that your faith may not be built on teachers and the wisdom of humanity, but instead in the power of God. And I'm convinced that more than ever, us as Christians need the power of God. In the world that we live in right now, people consciously and subconsciously amass for themselves teachers. Humanity has always done this, put people as sages and guides, teachers and influencers that can lead them to what they think a whole life or a successful life or a healed life can look like. And in centuries past, it didn't make such a big difference because we came from a a society built on Christian values. And in centuries past, the church's values and society's values were often the same or similar. And so teachings were the same. But now in the 21st century, we live in a post-Christian, post-modern world, which means that teachers of the world and of society, their ideals and values are so different to the ones in the church. And that's okay. That's fine. The Bible is still as true as it's ever been, as relevant as it's ever been, as powerful as it's ever been. But it means that we need the Spirit of God and not human wisdom and teachers to lead us into what God has for us. And that's the Easter message. That's what we're looking at today. The Easter message is salvation for humanity. It's renewal for humanity. It's hope for humanity that Jesus died to free us from a life that we didn't know was terrible, but He rose again on the third day. And in that, He saved us into a new life. But as He also rose, He also conquered death and He took away the sting of death. And, and this week, that has been so real to us as a church. And many of you may know, and some of you may not know, that Pastor Sam Gunser, one of our Redcliffe location pastors, has been on a long battle with cancer. And on Thursday night, Pastor Sam went to be with the Lord. He went on to glory. And the story of Easter and this message of Jesus has never been so real in so many of our hearts as we grieve and we mourn for Carolina and the kids. And, and as Pastor Mike said on Friday, he said, he said these words. I'm just going to reiterate what he said. He said, I'm so proud of the way they fought this journey. There was never a moment that I, I saw faith leave their family. There was, they were faith-filled the entire way through. And now, as Jesus did when He ascended, He said He went and rested after His work and His labour was over. And I know Pastor Sam is now resting away from the pain and the struggle that he's endured through with faith for so long that he can now sit down in the companionship of Jesus in glory. And so as we come around the Easter story today, let me pray for the Gunther family, but also for our hearts as we look at what it means for the Gospel of Christ at Easter, Jesus. God, we just pray right now for the Gunther family. I know You are already filling them with a strength and a peace as only Your presence can do. God, sustain them through this time and use the testimony of what has happened for great things. We pray 
that you're close to them, that you hug them, Holy Spirit, that you're with them in every step. We thank you that Sam is with you, Lord, that is in glory. Then Lord, today, my prayer for this moment, for these next 15 minutes together is, is simply this, let us see the real you. No matter where we are in our belief or disbelief of you here in this room today, I pray that we can just see you more clearly and the power of the Easter story and how we fit in it. In Jesus' Name, Amen. This morning, I just wanna read from the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter five. We're gonna read seven verses. That's the entirety of what we're gonna cover. But in this, as I was reading it, it the simple message of Easter just resounded in my heart. And, and it doesn't matter how many times you've heard it, it can do something new in you today. Let me read it out in its entirety and then I'll kind of pick it apart a little bit. It says this, For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Everything about this is from God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting our trespasses against us, He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 14 starts like this, for the love of Christ compels us. There are many loves and desires that can compel you to do different things. I'm sure after this, we're gonna see kids with a love of chocolate compel them to run onto an oval and push other kids out of the way to get what they want. But all loves and desires are not equal. What this is talking about is the love, a sacrificial love, a selfless love, the love of Christ, a perfect love for that love compels us. If one died for all, then all died. If one died for all. This is the heart of the Easter message, that one man died. And not by accident, by intention. Jesus died intentionally. Why? Why did He have to? If we go back to the start, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were there. Adam and Eve were the gateway. From one decision they made, sin entered the world. God has a perfect plan for humanity. His plan for humanity is love and goodness for our lives. Sin is any action or thought or intention that's contrary to the good and perfect will of God. And so God hates sin because it's bad for us and bad for the world. And Adam and Eve chose independence because there's something in humanity that thinks we know how to do it better. And in this moment, sin came into the world and we are all guilty of it. We are not perfect people. That is no secret to you here today. If that is a secret to you, you must be a must better man than, than me. But there is no perfect people. We are guilty of this. And sometimes we can only think it's guilty of sins of commission, doing bad things that we shouldn't have done. 
But there's also many of us that are sin, uh, guilty of sins of omission, do it knowing that we should have done something good for God and not doing that too. But even more than that, the Bible says that through one man, sin entered the world. That sin is also inherited, that I am my father's son. You can tell that by many characteristics that we share. You can tell the ends be boys because we all have the same nose. <laughs> There's things that you inherit from your parents. But humanity also inherited something spiritually from its first parent in Adam. We all inherited this sin nature that we have these desires and things that are not according to God's plan. And it's not your own choice, but we also inherited that. We are all, Romans 3.23 says, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short, but also the Psalmist says in Psalm 51 and in Romans 5 that we've inherited it as well. By one man, by Adam, sin has entered the world. But the good news of Easter, it says, by one man sin entered, but also by one man life came back. That through Jesus Christ, though one died for all, that we can be free of the sin nature and step into something more. And we would all be aware, if you've been in the church, that we would say a statement, something like, because Jesus died, therefore I get to live. And that statement is exactly true, but that's not the next words that Paul says here. He says this, for if one died for all, then all died. Jesus didn't just die so that you could live. He died so that the old you could die. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is about a redirection of your life. I was going this way, now I'm going this way. That's not at the heart of it. As I was reading this, this message today, there's something far deeper at work. And if we just accept Christianity as a redirection, like a choice, I choose to have tea today or I choose to make coffee today, then Christianity be one of many choices in your life. But it's not a redirection. It starts with a death, a death to something. And I'm gonna explain about how the gravity of that shapes all of our Lives, the death of something. It's not just a redirection. It's about living for something greater. In verse 15, it goes on to say, Jesus died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. The Easter message, this is the greatest thing. The, when you die to your old self, die to your old nature, the greatest thing it does, it displaces you from being the centre of your own universe. This is the healthiest thing that can happen for any human, that you are no longer the centre of your own universe. If you become the centre, and we are really good at making ourselves the centre of our universe as humans. We think we're big enough like the sun that the planets can rotate around us and we start to focus on what we need, and what people can give us. And we become self-centred and we become selfish. And we embody the proverb that the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and the more self-focused you are, the smaller your world gets. You don't have the gravitational pull to hold everything in place around your life. We aren't all that. You were never designed to be that. God has an order and a place where we do flourish. Like a sun and the planets rotating around it, there is an order, but only God, only Christ is big enough to be the centre of your world, the centre of the universe that we can rotate around. And when the things are in order, we become people that are joyful, people that are peaceful, people that are well-formed. And so we no longer live for ourselves, no longer living, and this is counter-cultural and counter-intuitive, living 
Not for yourself is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Living for something greater. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective that people can be in front of you and they can offend you and speak hatefully to you, but we don't, we don't regard them at face value anymore. Yeah. Pastor Andy Goulet is in the house today. I remember him telling me this about 10 years ago, that he can see behind all the garbage that comes out of people's mouth because sometimes it's just hurt. Sometimes it's just things. Sometimes what you read on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram towards you, it, it, it's just the front. We don't regard anyone from a worldly perspective. We start to see them through God's eyes. But not even that, we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Verse 17, this is, this is the verse, verse 17. Let me start with part A of it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, there's three states that a human soul can be in. You can be without Christ, and that is the state we all start in. You can be in Christ, and that is the state of grace that we live in. Or you can be with Christ and that is the state of glory for eternity. To be without Christ is the most terrible condition that a human being can be on the planet. It is inconvenient to be without money. It is miserable to be without your health. It is depressing to be without a good friend. It can be crushing to be without a good reputation, but to be without Christ is the greatest lack that you have ever faced. And, and people can be without Christ. They can be in a church. They can come and read a bit of the Bible or say a few prayers or do great deeds, but you can go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and stand right beside the table and be without food. It's only when you reach out and grasp it and take it for yourself. To be in Christ means to be born again. It means to be something far more than just being around it. And in our society today, I feel the Holy Spirit calling people towards being away from being without Him. And maybe you know about Him, but you're still without Him. And today He wants to call you into Him. To be with Him is the state of glory for eternity. This is what He made a way for us to do, that when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, He ascended sometime later and He went to be with His Father in heaven after all that He accomplished on earth. After all He went through, torture and pain and death and fighting. It says after His labour and His good work, Pastor Mike preached it on Friday. He said, it is finished. It is done. It is complete. And He went down and rested at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And our reward is that we get to be with Christ, resting for eternity, not just in heaven, in some paradise, that's great, but with Him. He is the heaven in heavens. He is the uncomparable joy that we, our earthly minds can't even fathom. He is the brightness of paradise. To be with Him forever is a joy we will not even understand but get to look forward to. But to be with Him forever is dependent on the second stage of being in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ, in this life, in the state of grace. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. What does it mean to be a new creation? It must be some radical change. Not just a change. And through the Bible, I see 
a lot of changes. I want to read them out because I want you to gravitate, I want you to understand the gravity of what it means to be a new creation. This is not a redirection. This is not behaviour modification. This is something so much deeper. King Saul in the Old Testament, the Bible said that God gave him another heart. And when he did that, he was counted among the prophets because he could speak the secrets and the prophecies of God. He was changed, but he was given another heart. He wasn't given a new heart. He was the same Saul. This wasn't the transformation that we're talking about here. People can change their behaviour. They can go from being a violent person to a non-violent person. They can start to do great works for God. They can even give stuff to charity. But if they haven't been born again, then they're not in Christ. We see other transformations and other healings take place in the Bible. We see Naaman in the Old Testament, someone who has had leprosy throughout his body and he goes into the water in the Jordan and he dunks himself seven times and on the seventh immersion, he arises anew, it says. It says his skin was like that of a baby. He was fresh, but even that miracle is lesser than what this is talking about because he was still the same person. The woman with the issue of blood for decades goes to Jesus, pushes through the crowd, grabs the hem of His garment. And in that moment, she's made well. Something that doctors couldn't do, a miraculous healing and transformation. But even that pales in comparison to what it means by a new creation because she still goes away the same person. It's not just a redirection or a change of life. It's a resurrection. There's something different. But let me go even one step further that Jairus' daughter in the Bible dies. She's on a table and Jesus comes in and He brings her back to life. He resurrects her. But even that's not the same here because the parents received the same child back. Lazarus is in the tomb for four days. He's, he's dead. It describes him as even starting to get the smell of death. He's even starting to stink in there. But he hears the voice of Jesus calling him out from beyond the grave and he walks out. We call this a resurrection in the Bible, but... It's the same Lazarus that's returned. It's the same person that's returned. If we start to see how deep this language is here, it's not used anywhere. This is a new creation, not the same. It's not a refreshment. It's not a renovation of walls. It's a replacement of the whole foundation of who you are. It's not a painting over of the canvas of your life. It's a replacing the whole fabric it was painted on. It's not a redirection. It's a resurrection. Some people have been looking for redirecting habits in their lives, but what you've needed is a resurrection. Because a redirection rests on the willpower that you have, what you can bring to the table to make a change in your life. But a resurrection rests on the transformative power of Jesus Christ. A death to an old man and a new person has arisen. That is what we're called to at Easter. That the old knew that couldn't not sin is dead. I reckon him dead. He will not come back. The old Chris that was prideful, that was driven by ambition is dead. And when those desires came back up, you stick them back to the cross because I have been created anew. The new person, new person relates to different rules by a different principle, a different kingdom, a different goals, different desires start to arise. I start to hang around different people. New creation, not a facelift on the old one, not a redirection of life, but completely regenerated and made anew. Jesus died so that I could be free from that old life, but He rose again so that I could be a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. 
You are new. Not a redirected life, not a refocus of life, but a whole new creation. Does that sound like your heart today? And so often we can preach the righteousness of God, that we are accepted by God and we are, but the the sanctification of God, us learning who we are as this new creation is our joy in this life, is our joy of being in the grace of God. Verse 18, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them, He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He doesn't count your trespasses against you because they're against someone who's already dead. The Bible says that your sins and your failings get cast as far as the East is from the West. And if the God of the universe casts them that far, are you greater than He that you should hold them against yourself? You need to let go of the past and the things that keep you chained. And he says that God has a ministry of reconciliation in the prodigal son where he goes out and he lives his world and he lives poorly and he comes home expecting to be a servant of his father and he walks up the road and the father runs down the road to him, wraps his arms around him and loves him. That is what reconciliation with God is. That is the ministry that we are a part of. There is no other way to the Father. Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am not a way to God. I am not a truth. I am not a life that you can have. There is only one way to God. There is only one truth that can sustain your worldview. There is only one life that is eternal and that's through Jesus. And finally, we get to verse 20. This is the final part. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He is making His appeal through us. When you When you realise that you are a new creation, your life starts to look a little bit different. When you are made a new creation, it's like you're a branch that's grafted back onto the divine tree of God. As humans, we are branches. We bear the fruit of whatever we're attached to. And you are attached to something, whether you're religious or not. Maybe it's love, maybe it's power, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's ambition. But for us as Christians, we attach ourselves to God and you bear the fruit of what you are attached to. And so God is saying, when you are a new creation and grafted back in to God, you start to bear the fruit of God. Where the world world will say hate speech, our lives look like love. Where the society is that of shifting sands and changing opinions, we have patience in the truth. Where people persecute us, we have long suffering. Where people look for temporary highs, and live for the weekend and temporary satisfactions, we have eternal joy. Our lives start to look different. Our words start to look different. You start to look different and God makes His appeal through through you to your world. Just like you see a beautiful sunset or you see the world's biggest mountain and you look at it and see how wonderful it is and you look at it and conclude that God must be real. People look at your life and through your words and your life, we plead be reconciled to God. This is the best way. 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus died for you so you can be free of your old life. And if you are certain and if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Saviour, that old person is dead, but then He rose again. And if He is your Lord and your Saviour, then a new creation rose with Him as well. That's why we're doing Baptism Sunday next week because this is what it signifies. This is what it means, a public declaration of what's happened spiritually in your life. At Easter, I've, I've never been more grateful that Jesus became sin. If you get a revelation of this, that a perfect person became what his dad despised, that a perfect man hung on a cross for you and I, that all for the sole purpose that when God looked at you, He no longer saw someone estranged or someone sinful or shameful or too insecure to help, but He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. In Easter, I'm so grateful that God's love chased me down. I'm so grateful that He made me new, not just redirected me. I'm so grateful He made me whole. I'm so grateful He's given me an eternal joy and eternal peace. Church, He's given us a purpose. He's defeated death. He's conquered the sting of death. I'm so grateful that as we celebrate Easter today, that Jesus made a way for you and I to be reconciled to the Father. He made a way for you and I to come to the home that we were always destined for.